the matrix in the end is an organizing principle, it's an organizing function. And there were a lot of things that we do in cybersecurity that I found I can organize into the matrix, whether that's metrics and measurement, training, I can organize exceptions and constraints. There's all these other facets of what we do in security that I can actually organize into the matrix to figure out then, am I missing something? This is the People Process Technology Podcast. Today's broadcast is supported by the OWASP 20th Anniversary Celebration coming September 2021. The CFP is now open for this online 24-hour conference. Go to OWASP.org for more information. And by Jupiter One, providing cyber asset discovery and visibility into your entire cloud-native infrastructure. In 2020, Security Magazine listed Sunil Yu as one of the most influential people in security, in part because of his work on the Cyber Defense Matrix, a framework for understanding and navigating your cybersecurity environments. The Cyber Defense Matrix started as a project when Sunil was the Chief Security Scientist at Bank of America. The initial problem he focused on with the Matrix was how to evaluate and categorize vendors and the solutions they provided. The Cyber Defense Matrix is a structured framework that allows a company to understand who their vendors are, what they do, how they work alongside each other, what problems they profess to solve, and ultimately to find gaps in the company's portfolio of capabilities. In the seven years Sunil has been working on the project, he has developed use cases that make the cyber defense matrix practical for purposes such as rationalizing technology purchases, defining metrics and measurements, and identifying control gaps and opportunities. The matrix has been adopted by the OWASP Foundation as a community project. Elements of it have been incorporated into the Center for Internet Security's Top 20 Critical Security Controls. I talked with Sunil to hear how the project was going, what his plans are for the future of the Matrix, and what help he can use from the community for expanding its usefulness. When you started working on the Cyber Defense Matrix, what did you see it as? What is it? When I first developed the Cyber Defense Matrix, I was trying to solve a hard problem that I had when I was at Bank of America. My role at Bank of America at the time was to look at a lot of startup vendors and understand what they do and how they fit into our set of security controls that we have operating inside the bank. The problem that we have though in the security space is that there's so many vendors out there and they aren't necessarily entirely truthful in terms of what they do. Understanding that space and understanding how people fit, uh, what capabilities fit where, it was a very hard problem. Understanding how to organize all this became a challenge until I came up with the matrix. The cyber defense matrix provided a very consistent, almost actually in many cases, the consistency is uh, frustrating at times. 
it creates this structure and this framework that allowed me to essentially organize all those different vendors into their appropriate buckets or shopping aisles that help me understand what they do, how they work alongside one another, what problem they're solving, and ultimately to find gaps that I may have in my own portfolio of capabilities. How do you know what you have missing until you can actually see what's there? Were, were you a garage tinkerer or did you have somebody to kind of bounce off of? Well, initially when I came up with the matrix, it was largely on my own. I came up with it about seven years ago, about 2014, 2015. But I first uh, unveiled it at RSA in 2016. Uh, as far as uh, other people who worked with me to develop it, I, I of course had my own team where I floated it. Uh, when I first showed it to my um, to my boss, who happens to be the CISO at Bank of America, I, <laughs> he's like, that's an interesting idea. So I, I didn't get a strong endorsement from him, but uh, he nonetheless thought it was a it was an interesting model. You know, encouraged me to see what else I can do with it. There are different ways to actually build a model like this. Some people can actually see the model fully formed in their head, and basically all they're doing is putting it on paper. Others, when there's larger models, it starts with one idea and then expands to others. Uh, how did yours start? Yeah, so I think that in this particular case, it was definitely the latter where I started with an idea and it quickly expanded into solving or addressing many other use cases. The first use case was mapping vendors. What I also discovered that is that the matrix in the end is an organizing principle, it's an organizing function. And there were a lot of things that we do in cybersecurity that I found I can organize into the matrix, whether that's metrics and measurement, training, I can organize exceptions and constraints. There's all these other facets of what we do in security that I can actually organize into the matrix to figure out then, am I missing something? Part of the system that the matrix offers is to help us find those things that we might be uh, lacking. But when, you, when all that you see is what there is, then it's hard to figure out what's missing out of that set. And so the matrix helps me then organize the things that I have, but more importantly, to see the gaps where I don't have something in a particular box or a particular part of the matrix. To your, answer your question, it started off with, at the genesis with just mapping vendors, but it has quickly grown into, at this point, maybe three or four dozen other use cases that helps us address some of the challenges that we have in cybersecurity. The matrix itself has become very dense when you look at the, the use cases. How, if people look at this for the first time, what should be their starting point? The first starting point that people see when they uh, visit the matrix or come to the, see the, find the matrix is the mapping of vendors. That is essentially the, the eye candy for the cyber defense matrix. There's a natural connection there because people see logos, they see companies, they see uh, products that they know, and they want to understand, well, where does it fit inside the matrix? So that's the uh, first starting point. To your point, though, it is pretty dense. It gets dense pretty quickly, not because of the of where the vendors are, but rather because there are multiple dimensions to the matrix that really characterize the other use cases that I mentioned. I've tried as much as possible to retain the five by five grid as a starting point. And that five by five grid, for those who aren't familiar with the matrix, it's really simple. Uh, on one dimension, it's the 
five functions of the NIST cybersecurity framework. The other dimension is uh, the fi five asset classes that we care about, devices, applications, networks, data, and users. The simple matrix helps us then organize a lot of things. But I found that it's insufficient to be able to organize some things that don't quite seem to fit in the right box or seem to cross many boxes. To be able to understand those a little bit better, I had to add a few other dimensions. And those other dimensions is what makes it a little bit more complex. Um, it's hard enough to grok a 5x5 matrix with 25 boxes. It gets much more difficult if you start adding additional dimensions that you then have to keep in your working memory. But most people can understand what a 5x5 is because it's a bingo card. And I jokingly call it a cyber bingo card because that's in many ways what it is. When I first looked at it, the analogy I came up with, it's almost like a three-dimensional chessboard because you could stack these things and actually drill down in different ways the way it's set up. It is. At this point, uh, I don't want to scare too many people off, but uh, I think I've arrived at somewhere close to 17 or 18 different dimensions. So I have no concept of what that even possibly looks like in my head, but uh, I, I can talk about what some of these other dimensions are. So for example, uh, we talked about constraints. Like how do we represent constraints in this matrix? How do we represent uh, ownership of assets in this matrix? How do you represent things like threats uh, or attack surfaces? How do you represent various facets of what we do? Uh, there, like even, for example, there's other frameworks like the attack framework. How do we represent that inside the matrix? There's a lot of different ways that we can absorb or organize a lot of things that we do in cybersecurity into the matrix. I, I'm not necessarily saying that the matrix answers all questions and all problems, but I do think that it provides a great way to figure out where those things fit uh, and what it's adjacent to in the grand scheme of things across the entire um, space of what we do in cybersecurity. One of the things, as you were talking, I was thinking it would be helpful to actually define personas that would be applicable for each layer of what you're trying to do. Um, because there would be different use cases for different people. Right, so these personas is another dimension as well. Uh, and the way that I characterize the persona here would be who owns the asset. The default layer is the enterprise. The enterprise owns the devices, applications, networks, data, and users. But there are other entities that own these other assets as well. For example, uh, my vendors. There are vendors that, who, of course, own devices, applications, networks, data, and users. But we don't necessarily call them that. So for example, if I'm using AWS, well, an EC2 instance is their device. <laughs> You've seen the joke, you know, the cloud is somebody else's computer. Well, that's exactly what the matrix represents. It's a vendor-owned device. Or a vendor-owned application is better known as SaaS. Vendor-owned network can be a CDN. It could be, again, AWS. Vendor-owned data. Uh, you can look at it as uh, storage buckets, but you can also look at it as the data that they actually own and, and um, that you consume and so on and so forth. Or vendor-owned uh, users would be their employees, which we would want to make sure that they run background checks on and so on. There are other personas, such as your customer, such as your employee. So you have employee-owned devices, BYOD. You have customer-owned devices, which then talk to 
How do you look for fraud detection? How do you how do you look for uh, unusual behaviors? How do you fingerprint their browser? Um, anyway, you have all these different facets to the persona. One other persona that I also talk about is threat actors. We actually we we need to understand a threat actors devices, their applications. Threat actor applications are better known as malware. If we have a function or a capability that helps me identify a threat actor owned application, well, I have a box for that inside the matrix because that's essentially identify application and then owned by threat actors. The matrix, again, allows me to organize all these different things that we do and have a home for it so that it's not just all in one big pile. One of the, the recent realizations that you had, because you and I talked about this earlier this week, was that when you're looking at the vendor matrix, the right-hand side appears to be empty. And you had a, re a recent realization of why that was so. The right-hand side of the matrix appears to be empty. And I had two different theories about as to why that might be the case. So one is represented in the matrix itself. At the very bottom of the matrix, I have this degree of dependency curve that reflects a higher dependency on technology in the uh, first couple functions of the NIST cybersecurity framework. So in the functions of identify and protect, uh, there, we appear to have a higher dependency on relying on technology for those functions. As it shifts from identify to protect to detect, respond, and recover, uh, what I've observed is that there are much fewer technologies and actually a greater dependence on people to perform those functions of detect, respond, and recover. And to some degree, this makes sense because uh, what I do also is characterize this notion of left and right of boom. Boom happens between protect and detect. And on the left of boom, we have various technical controls that help us thwart or ward off attackers. But unfortunately, attackers find some ways around those technical controls. And when they find a way around those technical controls, well, more technology doesn't necessarily help us find those attackers. We actually need people to go in and say, how did this attacker, how did this human circumvent our technical controls? So on the right side of Boom, it appears that we have a higher dependence on people to perform that job function. Now, they're certainly empowered by technology, but the greater dependence is on people on the right side of Boom. So you have this, this uh, uh, decreasing dependency from left to right on technology. And that's one reason why I, I uh, hypothesize that's why we don't see as many technologies on the right side of the uh, matrix. There's another discovery I made, which was uh, based on these eras of time that we've experienced in security. And it turns out, if I break it up into decades, the 80s, we had an identify problem. The best way to represent the, a solution for the identify problem was through asset management. We, we bought a bunch of technology. We didn't know what we bought or what's what it supported, and we needed asset management solutions. The next decade, the 90s, we started seeing viruses and attacks, uh, people walking into our networks, and so we came up with protect solutions like AV and firewalls. The 2000s, we had a detect problem. We were inundated and flooded with alerts. We didn't know how to manage those, and we needed things like SIMs and IDS. The next decade, the 2010s, was the age of incident response. <laughs> we were all uh, having hairs on fire and, and uh, needing incident response tools. Then the 2020s, the current era, is the age of recover or age of resiliency. Perhaps we don't see many technologies in the, 20, uh, in the uh, 
categories of respond and recover just because we are just entering those eras and we're still looking to see more and more solutions emerge in this space. So that's two different theories as to why there are fewer technologies on the right side of the matrix. One is that degree of dependency curve that I mentioned, or the solution space in these eras haven't matured to a point where there's a lot of vendors that have um, that can satisfy the challenges that we see in the space today. When I saw that part and you had described that to me, that really resonated, that we're actually moving into a new era. Everything that's happening now is happening at a scale that's incomprehensible. How often it's happened and how large the breaches are now. To your point, it's not that we haven't seen these in the 2010s. I mean, I think the first uh, wiper attack was Shamoon back in 2012, or at least uh, the first very public one. It set a precedent for what what people are willing to do very publicly. I think it's only been uh, in recent times, as you pointed out, last year in particular, where it seemed like every day we saw something about ransomware. The, I think what we're going to see in the 2020s is the full maturation of this form of attack in such a way that our, we have a challenge. The 2020s is the age of recover. So what we're going to see are challenges in our ability to recover. And the full maturation of that is going to manifest in such ways that there's going to be a lot of organizations that simply won't be able to recover because that was that is the nature of the attack that we're going to face here. And so we're going to just need different, whole different solutions, whole different way of thinking to address this challenge. The end result of that, uh, just to drop a hint on, hint on this one, is uh, what I call the DIE triad. And the DIE triad stands for distributed, immutable, ephemeral. I believe that becomes the new paradigm instead of the traditional CIA objectives that we've always had for many years. What are you looking to do and accomplish in the short term with the matrix now? You've got a vision of where history is taking us as far as attacks are concerned. How do you envision the matrix helping on that? Yeah, so even though I have this DIE triad that articulates what we need to do for the future, we still have a lot of things that we need to secure today. I believe that the matrix helps us understand what's at our disposal to be able to secure the pets that we have today. To that end, the challenge that I'm facing right now with the cyber defense matrix and people using the cyber defense matrix is that I have most of what I articulate in the form of slides. And while the slides are beautiful and uh, help convey the idea, they're not necessarily easy to implement. It takes time and effort, and many of us just don't have that. What I'm looking forward to be able to do is to take a lot of what I have as slideware and turn it into software. I, I recently joined a company called Jupiter One, and my goal here is to be able to incorporate many of these ideas into something that can be turned into essentially an easy button. Fortunately, they have a free product where I intend on making it available through the free product, so it, it's widely available. I also will retain the IP rights associated with the cyber defense matrix. I want to make sure that uh, it, it can be broadly used by anybody, anybody, regardless of what product that they're using. That sounds to me like you've got a community effort in your vision here. What do you foresee people being able to do to help you at this point? 
my initial use case was vendor mapping, and subsequently I found a bunch of other use cases. But some of these use cases came from contributions by other people who looked at the matrix and said, oh, I can do this with it, I can do that with it. I think that's really where the opportunity is as a community to say, here's how I actually put it into practice, and now let me make this easier to put into practice for everyone else as well. Uh, as I mentioned, though, right now it's still somewhat hard because it's mostly represented in a bunch of slides. But the goal is to really make this easily usable more widely. Uh, one one of the folks that have adopted the cyber defense matrix is the Center for Internet Security. As starting with version seven of their top twenty controls, they mapped all the controls to the cyber defense matrix. You'll see where it says asset and function. And so that's great. It ties directly to the matrix. The uh, upcoming version eight will, I believe, continue that as well. But now that it's baked into something like CIS, many other vendors and many other people who use CIS have incorporated, believe it or not, if they, I don't know if they realize it or not, but they've incorporated aspects of the cyber defense matrix as well. But there are other use cases. I mentioned earlier measurement. Can we find ways that we can understand what measurements that we have available from various vendor products and where does that fit inside the matrix? Can we easily organize uh, measurements so that we know what problem we're solving within the matrix and what are the products that produce measurements that helps us answer questions associated with one part of the matrix? These use cases or the community, I think once they have more tools that they can put to use and practice, what I hope that the community can generate is more use cases and practical implementable ideas that helps us push this concept, to push this model forward as a way to take what is a very complex, elaborate subject and make it into something that's easily digestible. If people want to participate, where can they find the project? So I have a website, cyberdefensematrix.com, where you can read about the matrix. And there's a whole bunch of slides that I have linked uh, from that website where they can find many of the use cases. However, as I mentioned, there are a bunch of slides, right? Uh, I would rather turn it into something that uh, they can just fire up and run. Uh, so they should be looking for that at some point. And again, there's people in the community that want to help me with that. By all means, I would love that help. This is the People Process Technology Podcast. Today's broadcast is supported by the OWASP 20th Anniversary Celebration coming September 2021. The CFP is now open for this online 24-hour conference. Go to OWASP.org for more information. And by Jupiter One, providing cyber asset discovery and visibility into your entire cloud-native infrastructure.